0: Today, the The topic is about free your mind, also if you have seen my card on the back side, I printed free your mind. So it's one of my slogans I use uh, and it's one of my main concerns. How to free your mind, how to develop your mind, also how to overcome all the fetters which chain you to this existence. So it com- when it comes to real spirituality, it should be based on experience, it should be based on the truth. The time has come to abandon theories, beliefs, and to become practical. And if we look worldwide, <coughs> we can also see that that is exactly what humanity is asking for. So humanity no longer likes to just blindi- blindly believe any dogma. They want to find out for themselves, they want to see, they want to experience it. And if it's not helpful, if it's not improving their, their day-to-day life, they are no longer Interested in it. And the most important part of this spiritual practice is meditation. There's a sense saying, it says you should meditate for 20 minutes every day. Unless you're too busy, then you should meditate one hour, because then you need it much more. Yeah. It's a very old sense saying, and it is true, uh, it was true at that time, and it's even more true nowadays. Prince Siddhartha, after he saw the four famous signs, meaning an old person, a sick person, and a dead body, he realized there is a lot of suffering around us, he also is subject to the same suffering, so he left behind his luxury life, he left behind the palace in search of the, uh, the solution to this problem. So the main reason why he left the palace was to find the solution to suffering, He wanted to find the end of suffering for himself and also for humanity. The Buddha, as you know, is not a name, it is a title. It was given to the Prince Siddhartha after he attained enlightenment. So it means the enlightened one or the awakened one. Also, according to him, he is not the only Buddha. There have been thousands of Buddhas behind, before him, and there will be many more after him. He even gave once all the, a long list of names of the, the past Buddhas, like Vesabhu, Sikki, and many other. So even the names are known from, from all these past Buddhas. And also, last time I was asked, when is the next Buddha coming? And uh, according to the Buddha, there will be a long gap between the na- this Buddha and the next Buddha. So usually they don't come too often, they come only at the time where people uh, no longer have the Dhamma, or no longer can remember the Dhamma, and we're also a time where people can understand the Buddhist teachings or the Dhamma teachings. So the Dharma is uh, universal knowledge, universal understanding. It is the path to enlightenment. Also, the Buddhist teaching called Dharma often is also the word Dharma is used also in other religions and other traditions. So I believe that all <coughs> religions contain a little bit of Dharma, but mainly the term is used in Buddhism and also in Hinduism. So it means the philosophy of life, the way, the technique, how to develop your mind, how to free your mind from all defilements. If it can be destroyed by the truth, it deserves to be destroyed by the truth, Carl Sagan. So meaning, if it's not based on the Dharma and it can be destroyed by true things, then it is not worth saving anyway. So if it's something is based on the dharma based on the truth it cannot be destroyed also many may dry especially at bad times uh, the dharma is constantly under attack but they say humanity can be destroyed but not the dharma so the dharma will be always there only there is a golden dime and there's a bad time so the the amount of dharma available will be different the Buddha nature is what I call also the universal consciousness or the enlightened enlightened nature is already in you, so each and every one of you has this Buddha nature within you. Usually it is covered up with karma, with defilements and things, so it cannot shine. Through meditation we purify the subconscious mind, we clean out all the rubbish and we let this Buddha nature shine forward. Also, the Buddha said enlightenment is nothing you have to go to another place, you have to, some call it a journey, which is only literally, uh, not literally, sorry, it's, a, uh, it, it's implied meaning, so you don't go anywhere, the Buddha nature is within you, so you clean out your mind, then Buddha nature starts shining and enlightenment comes forward. Is a, the musk deer is very famous in northern countries, and this deer has a peculiarity. It is very uh, fascinated by the smell of musk. That's why it's called the musk deer. If it gets a slight smell of the musk, it's running like crazy, searching everywhere. It loses its mind just to find the musk, and uh, it's its favorite. And it's often compared to a human being who is crazy with desires, Uh, as soon as we get an idea, I could satisfy certain desires, we run like crazy, we search everywhere, we are prepared to give almost anything just to satisfy this uh, one satisfaction, to get this satisfaction. So often also even (coughs) when it comes to the spiritual search, many students run here and there, confused, searching for some technique to liberate the mind. Also there is a variety of teachings out there, which can be very confusing. And uh, also many say, which books are should we read? What is the right uh, technique? Which meditation do we recommend? So there are many different meditation systems out there, which are practically good. Uh, but it all depends on your experience, on your practice. So whenever we think that a certain teaching or a certain meditation technique is good for us, we should put it to the test. So you try it, you you experience it a little bit. If it is improving your life and especially if your negative uh, things like greed, hate, delusion is getting down, then you can take it as something real as something true. So reaching for the you, that exists beyond all the drama, is what the spiritual search is all about. So it is all about your self-realization, it's not about learning uh, things by heart and then teaching it or uh, arguing with people. It is your own spiritual practice, so you clean out your heart, you develop the Buddha nature and you move on to higher levels of consciousness. The old Romans had one word, uh, liber, which is the base for two words. It's the base for library and also for liberty. And they say the old, uh, <coughs> all these uh, terms have not been chosen randomly, they have, uh, they have been chosen very wisely. So knowledge, the library standing for knowledge, is a big part, or you need certain knowledges for liberation. So, knowing things, understanding things, having a deep knowledge is very important when it comes to liberation. Also, uh, once you sit down in meditation, uh, it is also important not to forget about everything. But before that, uh, uh, knowledge, understanding can give you an idea where to go. So, it gives you an idea what to do in your practice, where to go, what is the aim of your practice. And then, once you start with the Real meditation, then it depends all on your experience. Like I said, many times when you go to a a big meditation center, like I was in Perma, uh, the first thing they ask you, (coughs) do you have any books with you? Put it aside and now start the practice. But before that, even uh, the idea to go to a meditation center to meditate, you need some knowledge, some understanding what you are up to. So it can give you an night Id- and direction, but once you sit in meditation, the best is to forget about everything. Another big distraction is often glorification of a certain person. And we see this often, and I choose a Buddhist picture because it happens in Buddhism as well. So in many traditional Buddhist countries, monks are glorified, or they, the monks worship, they call it the monks worship. Uh, which uh, there's a saying, it says, the leaders destroy followers, and the followers destroy leaders. So this idea, the Buddha never recommended this uh, personality worship. And there was a monk at the Buddha's time who was terribly in love with the Buddha. He always wanted to see the Buddha. He was near him. He idolized the Buddha. Till It became a big hindrance for his uh, spiritual practice. Then one day... (coughs) I think Vakkali was his name, one day the Buddha sent him off he realized this is a hindrance for for this monk. He sent him off far away into the forest, he said, you go far away and do your meditation practice. At first it was very hard for him because he had to break this attachment to the Buddha, but then after a while he got into real meditation and he attained enlightenment. So nowadays also in many uh, Asian Buddhist countries, you hear on that hill is a holy monk, there's a holy monk, and there are 500 holy monks, and I don't believe any of these stories. Also if some monk says, I am enlightened, I am this or that, then you can be sure that he is not. So I think enlightenment means you are free from ego, and if somebody is advertising his own attainment, that means the ego is huge, And so it cannot be true, so I don't believe in any of these stories. (coughs) Another big hindrance is opinions, theories, and concepts, and often we get a variety of ideas, which can be very confusing, and again, you have to base it on your own experience. So whatever we hear, often it is good to introduce new things into our practice. Let's say I read something about the different uh, meditation and I take certain parts, introduce it into my meditation practice, but again I should uh, try it for a while. And if I see it is working for me, then take it and uh, introduce it into your practice. If you see after a while this is not working, it uh, makes me more restless, or it. Uh, brings me away from my attainments, I then you drop it again. So opinions, theories, and concepts <coughs> can become a huge hindrance. Also I think the human mind is very fond of certain ideas, or we like to argue with people. There's also one part of the Buddhist teaching which is called the Abhidhamma, which is not very practical, but it's full with lists and uh, Pali terms. And Somebody told me once, it's absolutely not important to have to know Abhidhamma for your practice, but it has one big advantage. If you sit down with another person and you want to argue, you you, you become very good at arguing with other people, and you can impress the people with your Pali knowledge. But beyond that, it's not very practical, it's not very useful. So the trouble with being in a rat race is, uh, even if you win, you're still a (laughs) rat by lily Tomlin. (laughs) So meaning if you are in this uh, modern society, and even if you are the best, still you are in the race. And uh, the main idea would be to get out of the race, to see it with some distance, and to understand the whole race is not really what we should be up to we should be more for realization, understanding, and freeing our mind from all defilements. As our modern society, (coughs) we can see many uh, shortcomings, many problems, many say it's going in the wrong direction, and according to, there's another saying from Krishnamurti, it is not a measure of health to be well adjusted to a profoundly sick society. And these are usually the people who, let's say, the multi-billionaires, or the people on top, who are uh, perfectly adjusted to this system and they profit from it a lot so they, they are doing very well but this is usually not a sign of health because in this system if you want to go uh, if you want to reach the top then usually you cannot keep any uh, human values or you cannot be a spiritually advanced person otherwise you would never arrive on the top Bodily and mental sickness, now everybody understands if you want to be bodily very fit, then you have to do something for your body, so you go to fitness and uh, you work very hard. You can see the people in in sports, they train very hard and they work very hard to be bodily very fit. When it comes to mental fitness, many people don't realize even that needs a lot of training. So uh, when it comes to meditation or spiritual progress, many people think they go to a retreat, or they sit down once or twice in meditation and then they expect some big results. So even there, (coughs) it is a training, it takes a while till you develop your mind. Like the bodily training, you have to work hard for it. Also we had this discussion recently that uh, there are many stories in our Buddhist texts that people came to the Buddha, they listened to one short advice of the Buddha and they became fully enlightened. There are nowadays teachers around who promise the same thing. They say, don't meditate, not necessary, just come listen to my Dhamma talk and then you will be enlightened. And if you say, how is this possible? They say, look at these stories at the Buddha's time. The Buddha did the same thing. And uh, my answer to this is usually... People who are born at Buddha's time, and especially people who met the Buddha and became enlightened within a short, like say, they hear one sentence of the Buddha, and they become enlightened. These are usually people who have huge paramis. That means they have a lot of experience from the past. Nowadays, people who come for meditation, they have good paramis already. But compared to these people who attained enlightenment in the presence of the Buddha, our paramis are fairly low. And so nowadays we need to work very hard for it. So we have to put in a lot of time and energy. Then I think it is still possible to make some progress to attain any of these stages. But nowadays it's not that easy. Also we can see society wise it is getting more and more confusing. So our society is very complex. Uh, The life at the Buddha's time, as we uh, uh, believe it is, it was very simple. So village life, people lived a very simple life. They did not have any of the electronic devices. And uh, (coughs) I saw recently a nice uh, cartoon with somebody in love with his phone. And first, it was a poem, first it starts like... uh, uh, he's in love with the partner, it sounds like he's in love with the girl, but then it turns out that he means the phone. Mm-hmm. And uh, so life is very complex nowadays and uh, it makes it more and more difficult to make progress. So there's no liberation without meditation, so without actually sitting down and doing the practice, I think that no liberation is possible nowadays. Uh, So uh, anybody who says you don't need any meditation in order to make some spiritual progress, theoretically uh, possible, but nowadays unlikely. Now this is the list of uh, uh, fetters the Buddha Buddha gives, they are called the Sanyojanas, the ten fetters, which bind us to this material existence. So all these things are things which hold us uh, back from our spiritual progress, and in order to make some progress we have to break them. What are they? Personality, belief, skeptical doubt, clinging to rules and rituals, sensual desire, ill will, and the last five are very fine uh, mental uh, attachments. So these fetters, they are translated, uh, the Sanyojanas translated as the mental fetters, which shackle a sentient being to samsara. These chains can be broken through meditation or through any spiritual practice. The words on your comes come from sun defilements and your binds. So it binds us to our defilements, it binds us to this material existence. Don't look down on the defilements, they will laugh back at you. And uh, the meaning is never underestimate your defilements they can put up quite a fight and it can be very difficult sometimes to overcome them. Also, each person has a particular defilement. Often it is from person to person, it can be very different. Let's say somebody mm, can't stop gambling. Uh, if, if you're not a gambler, nobody will understand how it is not possible for him to stop it. Like I know one person in my country, he says uh, he, he, he knows the disadvantage, he has lost a lot of money with it, he, he tries not to gamble, But he says each time he passes by a gambling hall, he just, the the car stops automatically. He goes in and he says only 10 euro, and he goes home with minus 1,000. And uh, so for him, it is a defilement. He cannot overcome it, or without any help, it's very impossible for him to overcome it. And from from outside, it may look, it's a small thing. It should be very easy, but not for that particular person. So the defilements are, Designed for each person in a different way. Each one has his uh, weakness, and the defilements hit you very hard at your weakness. Also, here we can see this the sanyojanas, they are directly connected with the four stages of awakening. So, if you break or overcome the first three sanyojanas, you are sotapanna or you reach the first stage of enlightenment. The second, uh, the fourth, and the fifth, which is sensual desire and ill will, if you reduce them, you attain the second stage and if you overcome them completely you are on the third level or an Anagami. The first, the last five are broken then you are an or fully enlightened. Usually from outside <coughs> it is, uh, many try to guess where is this person, how far is he, it is from outside it's very difficult to say anything, if at all the third stage, so if somebody has broken sensual desire and ill will completely that is something more obvious from outside. So if you associate a person, he gets never angry, he does never show any uh, uh, grasping or strong attachment, and he's very clear, he's un- not confused. So if you see this for a long period of time, maybe we can guess that a certain person is on that level, but even that cannot be said for sure. There's another, as you know, the jhana meditation, which is on the samatha side, if somebody is doing chana meditation for a long time, then also the defilements are completely suppressed for a long period of time. You may not see any defilements, but they are still there, they are just suppressed. Kitcho Manusha Patilapo, rare is the human part, so the, uh, it's very difficult to be reborn at the right place at the right time. Also to be born as a human being, uh, to hear the Dharma, to get an opportunity to do meditation, to be intelligent enough to understand it, and also from outside society-wise, to have uh, a chance to practice the the Dharma or the meditation is a very rare opportunity. So if we have all these rare uh, chances, then we should make best use of it. It's never sure whenever, m- we don't know when you get such a chance again. So for you, uh, you are born, in, a, you're living in a good country, you have the chance to meditate. Uh, it is uh, very well known uh, now, the Dharma Buddhism. And there are places like BSV where you can practice meditation. So meditation can change your life, comprehending the Anicca nature. Now, one of the first things, <coughs> if you make some progress in this mindfulness meditation is the understanding of Anicca. <coughs> got the cold again. So Anicca, the impermanence, when you uh, start seeing the impermanence on an experiential level, it is one of the biggest uh, insights or the biggest progress in your meditation. Once you clearly see the impermanence all around you, then automatically also the grasping or the attachment is going down. So you no longer grasp things in the same way because th- you know even if it's the most beautiful, let's say the, the newest iPhone, you know after a while it's wearing off or you lose it or it breaks, it is impermanent. So having this impermanent uh, in your mind, you your grasping will be automatically much less as soon as the grasping goes down, also the anger or the ill will will be much less. Now, if somebody is really living a bad life, usually we are reborn, what the Buddha called an apaya. According to the B- Buddhism, there are f- six different ways of being reborn, only one of these six. Manusha means here human, the human world. Devaloki means you are born as a spirit, some would call it a god. Uh, in Buddhism, is nothing so special. So if somebody lives a good life, does a lot of good things, creates a lot of good karma, you can be reborn as a Deva, but even this, uh, it's said they have a very long lifespan, but even that is not permanent. So after that karma is paid off, you come down again and you are born in a different place. Loki would mean the human world, it's said to be the best, also it is the second on the list, because as a human, you can see the suffering, you can see the good and the bad, and you can do a lot of good karma and practice meditation. The last four are called abhaya, these are places of suffering. One of them is the animal realm, or the other, all spirit, spirit as a spirit, or bad spirit, a ghost. So, these are usually places for paying off bad karma. What we call the divaloka or the heavenly realms, as I already mentioned, uh, is just a result of your good karma, it is not permanent, so you live there a long lifespan, you enjoy your life. But it's also said it's not a perfect place for doing anything spiritual, uh, it's not a good place for making spiritual progress. The reason is, or so the simile they give, suppose you go to a party, loud music and joy and fun and everything, everybody's happy, and uh, try to sit down at a party and meditate. It's almost impossible. So the is similar to that, it's like party day and night. Uh, Also there's no real suffering there, bodily they don't get sick, they don't need uh, medicine or they don't need any food. So the enjoyment is great but there's not a big chance there to develop your mind any further. So coming back to the Sanyojanus, the first one is called Sakaya Diti, personality view. And that is also one of the, along with Anicca, usually we understand the Anatta, meaning the non-self nature. Sakaya Diti means, uh, would be the personality belief, so if you break that, you understand that there is (coughs) no I, me or mine. There are just processes going on in your mind, so connected with your six senses the mind is rotating around these impressions, Uh, past memories are conditioning your thinking, Uh, there is no ego or nothing we call I, me or mine. So it comes along with the anicca or impermanence uh, insight into that, the anicca, dukkha and anatta. Seeing it from another angle, often Danha, Mana, Ditti is also called the hindrances for making spiritual progress. Danha means grasping, attachment, Mana is again this uh, uh, conceit, the I, me, or the ego, and Ditti would mean beliefs, having uh, strong ideas about (laughs) certain things. And here Ditti does not mean uh, uh, any Uh, differences in opinion about smaller things, it has to do with these main uh, important ideas. It would be like the Buddha, any wrong idea about all the enlightened beings, thinking there never has been any enlightened being, nobody has ever attained anything. Dharma, (coughs) if the belief is that there is no true teaching, there is no technique to liberate the mind, it's impossible. Karma, if you have a a wrong idea about karma, Meaning, whatever I do, it has no re- effect, it, nothing is coming back to me, I can do whatever I want. Desire, that I- the grasping or having desire is a hindrance for spiritual progress, and that one actually I hear often. There are many uh, in Europe, I know many uh, alternative living people who are otherwise very close to uh, being a Buddhist, but this is one point with which many cannot get. Uh, holding on to things or uh, um, desire, that that is also a hindrance for making spiritual progress. Meditation, that there is something, a technique, which can liberate the mind, or just the wrong idea about liberation itself, that it is just not possible. We live our life, at the end of the life it's like switching off a machine and that's the end of it. So having any wrong idea called drushti or ditti, about these major things which are really important for your spiritual progress uh, would be mean it's a big hindrance for moving forward in your meditation. Vichigicca, the second fetter uh, uh, is doubt uh, about this, I should have put the slide after that, about any of these major things. So if you doubt uh, any of these uh, uh, ideas that uh, the Buddha was enlightened, the Dharma leads to enlightenment, meditation will liberate your mind, and that there is something called enlightenment. So if uh, you do not believe in any of this, that would mean strong doubt which will not allow you to move forward in your meditation. The third one is silapadabaramasanang, attachment to rules and rituals, and that is also often we see it, uh, to all, throughout all the different traditions and religions, but also within Buddhism. And that means, uh, let's say, I'm a Buddhist and I do my uh, chanting, I do my rituals, my, uh, my offerings and things and I stop with that. So I, don't, I do only the traditional things, believing that that alone will be enough for me to liberate my mind. So if I use all these ritualist, ritualistic things like chanting and puja for my meditation, then it can be even a help for the practice. But if I think that alone is enough and that alone makes me a uh, practicing Buddhist, then that is Silapata paramasanang. It's one of the feathers which we should overcome in our meditation. So what you need to attain the first stage of enlightenment, something is Chitta vitta, it has to do with your senses and what we are doing in this Vipassana Mindfulness Meditation. So you watch your mind, you observe the sensations. Whenever something comes into your field, you mm-hmm. note it as <coughs> a sound, a sensation, a, a thought, an image. You do not analyze it, you just stop it there and move on with your meditation. That is called citta the observation of your sense impressions. The traditional line for practicing Buddhism is this one, Sila, Samadhi, Banya. Sila would mean the virtue. Now, if you keep these five precepts, which we um, renewed just in the beginning, it gives you the basis for for meditation and any spiritual practice. So somebody who is not keeping uh, at least these five precepts Uh, However much you meditate, maybe you find some little bit of calm, but next time you break one of the precepts again, it it drags you down again, so you cannot continue or you don't lift off in your meditation. Samadhi would mean the concentration meditation, and banya is the wisdom or the mindfulness meditation. So it's based on your (coughs) virtue, then concentration, and then mindfulness meditation. The fourth of the Sanyojan is called raga or Sensual Desire. So the Buddha, it is said, when he was sitting under the Bodhi tree, he was tempted in different ways uh, away from his enlightenment. Either these stories could be literal or they could be just symbolic. So it is said some beautiful girls came there and tried to seduce the Buddha away from his seat of enlightenment. Uh, they were dancing in front of him. It could be all in his mind, or it could really have happened out there. He d- he did not go into it, he continued his meditation, so it was not successful. He overcome his sensual desires. Then after that, uh, ill will, so he was, uh, it is said, the army of Mara came and tried to frighten the Buddha or make him angry. Again, he did not move, he continued his meditation. He overcome his ill will or his anger and then uh, he attained uh, Buddhahood under the Bodhi tree. So these two, uh, sensual desire and ill will, are usually the ones, the most prominent ones, the most difficult ones to overcome. Once you overcome them, it is called you are healthy again, so free from the karma low becoming healthy again. So once you overcome these, usually you are not reborn again in a a sensual world, so you're not reborn again in a human world or anything below, if you come back and are reborn again only in a higher spiritual realm. So the Sakadagami is somebody who has reduced sensual desire and ill will, and the Anagami is somebody who has completely overcome any sensual desire and ill will. For the Anagami, only these five very fine fetters are still left. One is craving for material existence, craving for non-material existence, conceit or egotism, restlessness, and ignorance. As we can see, the last bit of conceit disappears at the very end. Also the last bit of ignorance, so some little bit wrong uh, motion is still there. We overcome it at the end before we become fully enlightened. So these are the sanyo uh, connected with the four stages of awakening. So even if you do not think about these things in our meditation, uh, if you just practice the right meditation technique, uh, you will overcome one by one automatically. But just the theoretical understanding, so that is what you are doing, that is what you have to overcome in your meditation. So enlightenment, joy, and peace can never be given to you by another, the well is inside you, Thich So again, it's an inside job, nobody else can do it for you. I always said, if, let's say, the Buddha would sit here and uh, he could not do the meditation for us, again, he could just show us, go that direction, that's what you have to do. Maybe he would explain a, a way of doing meditation, but we ourselves have to do it. So right understanding, seeing things as they really are, so we have to understand the nature dukkha, natta, so the impermanence, the suffering nature and the non-self nature. So without this correction of vision, uh, it will be difficult to gain understanding and wisdom, so it leads to one of these four stages of awakening. Knowing others is wisdom, knowing yourself is enlightenment, Lao Tzu. And I read the most important book from Lao Tzu, the summary of his teachings, and actually he lived before the Buddha. And uh, <coughs> if you compare it with the Buddhist teaching, it's amazing, like it's uh, almost the same. So he was very close to the Buddhist teaching and uh, a book full of wisdom and understanding. So <coughs> I think it's called the tao Ji. So if you read the book, it's an amazing read and you will see, as a Buddhist, you will see that uh, there are many similarities there. (coughs) You will remember George Carlin, I use him sometimes. (coughs) He said this, those who dance are considered insane by those who can't hear the music. And I I changed that a little bit uh, into those who meditate are considered insane by those who never tried it. And, <laughs> and you hear this very often uh, when people who have no idea about meditation and uh, they see people sitting in meditation, maybe in a group meditation, they think, it's crazy, what are they doing? They're no? sitting there, like numb, not talking and not moving. Uh, so if you have no idea about what we are doing, it may look insane for others, but actually it's the technique to make you sane again. So the liberation of self is your own responsibility, so uh, our situation here is all caused by our past karma, all the good and bad things we have done in the past have brought us to this stage, and I think for us we have done a lot of good things I guess in the past, otherwise we would not have got this opportunity. So it is still a good chance to liberate the mind, some say, you know, society is going a certain way, who knows how long we still have an opportunity to practice together like this, but at least for now we have the opportunity and we can use it. So enlightenment, the Buddha had to overcome all his uh, defilements, all his desires. The Buddha never claimed to be reborn as a holy being or a divine being, he was born as a prince, he was born as a human being, he was married, he had a child, so he was. He had all the defilements uh, usually human beings have. On his own he left all this behind, he meditated, he worked very hard, six years he meditated under the Bodhi tree and uh, he overcome his, his own defilements. So I think the main idea of meeting the girls and meeting the army was overcoming his uh, desire and his anger in his own mind, once he was over all that, only then he reached the higher levels of awareness and he became a buddha. If you want to put the Buddhist teaching into one word, many say this is the one, tanha kayo. Danha means desire or grasping and tanha means the opposite, so not grasping or letting go of all desires. So if you want to put the Buddhist teaching in one word, this is the one. So we are working to let go of all grasping, of all desire, to liberate the mind from all defilements. It's also called Nirodha, to destroy the desire is the aim of the Buddhist teaching. Desire often (coughs) is also compared to an itch, so if you have an itch you try to scratch it, it's like satisfying the senses there's this saying, whenever we have an itch, we scratch, but better than any amount of scratching is to have no itch at all. And that is exactly what we do in this meditation technique, in the Buddhist practice, we try to remove the itch completely. And uh, otherwise, uh, however much we run after our desires, we may be, let's say, uh, a very rich person, very influential person, can get a lot of his desires fulfilled, but as, son- as soon as they are fulfilled, a new desire is coming up. So this is no end to it, there's only one way to get real satisfaction, to get rid of the desire completely. So in Buddhism we don't fight our defilements, we understand them. And when we know them, they disappear. So in <coughs> once you sit in meditation, Uh, Whenever defilements are coming up, you should neither hold on to it nor should you push them away. Let's say some negative memories are coming up in your mind and you're saying, oh, this is a terrible thought and you try to push it away. The more you push it away, the more it's coming back. Or on the other side, let's say some uh, nice memories coming up, you try to hold on to this memory, uh, you're very fond of this memory, again it uh, will grow stronger in your subconscious mind. In meditation, whatever memory comes up, just acknowledge it, you say, ah, oh, this is a memory, or this is a thought, and then you move on with your meditation. So if you note it with equanimity, and you do it well enough, that memory cleans out from the subconscious mind, and it usually never comes back again. So nobody can be told what the matrix is, and matrix are used like uh, Reality, our uh, reality around us, That's the, the saying of course is from the movie The Matrix and the Buddha said something very similar. He said, nobody can be told what, the, the, what enlightenment is, each and everyone has to walk the path on his own and we have to find out for ourselves. I can only show, the Buddha says, I can only show the way but everybody has to experience it for him or herself. So reality, this isn't real. What is real? How do we define reality? What is real? It's all just in our mind. It is mind-made. The Buddha's line is Mano, Pupangama Dhamma. Mind-made are all things. Mind is the forerunner of all things. Now Elon Musk definitely agrees with that one. He says there is one in a billion chance that we are living in base reality. So he believes our reality is not real. He says this is a computer game, or a simulation, that's what he says. And uh, he says there's a tiny chance that this is real, and there's one billion chances it is not. The Buddha called it Mahamaya, the great illusion from which we should wake up. We can break out of this maze or this illusion, but we have to stop doing what we are used to do to conform with the world and to just accept everything we are told to. So we have to (coughs) use our own critical thinking to break out of this illusion, to look behind the curtain and to understand how things actually are. Blind belief is one of the big hindrances. A blind belief in authority is the greatest enemy of truth, Albert Einstein. And J. Krishnamurti said something very similar. So whenever we have a strong belief in anything, in any authority, in a holy book, in uh, even a holy teacher, whatever, it becomes a strong hindrance for our spiritual progress. Noble friendship uh, is one of the most important things when you are on the path to enlightenment. Ananda, who was the the closest monk to the Buddha, his attendant and also his closest friend, he said once to the Buddha, I think the noble friendship is is half of the spiritual life, it's very important. And the Buddha said, no, that's wrong, it is not half of the holy life, it is the whole holy life. So he said the uh, spiritual friendship, noble friendship is the most important thing if you are practicing meditation, practicing spirituality. Also sometimes the." <coughs> If you are into meditation, into making spiritual progress, there can be many difficult periods to overcome. If you have some real good friends around you, you can share your experience, you can discuss things, and just by their presence, just by the vibrations, the positive vibrations around you, that alone can be enough to overcome difficult periods. So true friends say good things behind your back and bad things your face. And uh, that's one way to find out if somebody's a really good friend. So true friends usually if there's uh <coughs> if you do anything wrong they come up and tell us straight away, they say I'm your best friend uh, but I think this is now wrong, you're going wrong here and a good friend has the right to do that. But if they do this you can be sure they are not telling bad things around you, they come up to you and they tell it straight away. So that is one sign of a good friend and also in the background if we <coughs> talk positive about our friends, he said he did this great thing and that great thing, and we are not even interested that that person finds out about it, we just are happy with spreading good information about our friends. Now these two are also very good friends. <laughs> and uh, many people ask me, because the last time I talked a little bit about politics, and so many say, what do you think about, uh, I heard you shouldn't even say his name, because when you, you should say the present, President of the United States. If you call his name, it leads to outrage. <laughs> and so some, some say, are you left, are you right, what do you think about him? I think they are here for our entertainment. And the reason is all these politicians, they usually voted in power, they play a game. It's like a movie, in, uh, like a Hollywood movie. Uh, and they are a distraction. So the whole world is talking (coughs) about what Trump is doing or what he is not doing, what the other party, what the Obamas are doing or the the Bushes are doing. Uh, And so we are talking about this uh, movie. In the background the real things continue. So what is the real agenda behind uh, them, and they are usually not the people with the big power, So the shadow government or the people who are behind the government, the people with the real money, they are deciding what is happening on our globe. They have a big agenda and if you see uh, this agenda is continuing throughout all the presidencies. So if you look at the last four presidents, they all continued the same agenda. So usually they are there. And they are usually allowed to do a little bit different. So, the, like about Trump, let's say, he has the right to do say a little bit different things, to do a little bit different to distract us. But the most the, the important decisions never change. Like in the background, the military-industrial complex, they're getting more and more money. The wars, illegal wars around the globe. The, um, the human suffering it continues the same way under all these presidents. They don't make any difference. There's a nice song from Leonard Cohen. It says, "I'm neither left nor right." And actually, he was uh, Leonard Cohen. I don't know if you know him. He is he is interesting because he was a Buddhist monk for a while. He was a Zen monk, and uh, <coughs> in his one of his songs, he also said, "I I was I delved very deeply into spirituality." but then cheerfulness came true <laughs> and he disrupted. <laughs> and, uh, so, and he started again singing songs after that. And all his songs, uh, they are they are deep, There's some very deep meaning. I think he had a very deep understanding of what's actually going on around us. And uh, also he's not mainly focusing on that, but you can see it here and there, it is in his songs. So what I mean with the main agenda, if you look at this, every 3.6 seconds, a child dies because of hunger or preventable diseases. Now all this is continuing. No, I have never heard any big politician ever talking about it. Nobody's interested, nobody cares. All they care about is this military spending. <coughs> and interestingly, uh, also that answers also the question we had last time, or two weeks ago, who is the biggest threat for world peace? Uh, you can see US spends a lot more than all the others together. China is number two, that's right. But uh, interestingly, it is estimated uh, that we would need 30 billion a year to overcome world hunger, or to eradicate hunger completely. And that would be the spending of South Korea or Italy, somewhere down there. So it would be a a comparable small amount to eradicate all hunger from the world. But that's not what they're interested in. They're interested in military spending, in expanding their powers and doing all the other things. <coughs> so there is a big lobby <coughs> for continuing the same agenda Also, the politicians are there to distract us to play a game so that we don't think about the deep uh, problems around us. <coughs> like George Carlin says, never underestimate the power of stupid people in large groups. And uh, if if they get together, they can be very dangerous. So, meditation is the answer, as we had this in in our last discussion, when we talk about these worldly problems all around us. We should know what's going on in our world, but mainly, again, if you want some change, you have to work on your own mind. So if you do your meditation, you develop your mind, you gain more understanding, that's the most important part. But then as a side effect, automatically also you see also things which are going on around you. So your eyes are open, you can see uh, on a society level what is going wrong. And uh, then once the eyes are open, it is very difficult to deceive such a person or to control a person who is uh, knowing what is going on, is a nightmare for anybody who wants to control society. If every (coughs) eight-year-old in the world is taught meditation, we will eliminate violence from the world within one generation, Dalai Lama. So that would be the most logical thing to introduce yoga, meditation, basic morality into our school system, but there are only very few schools where they start introducing these things, There is a good development that they use a little bit of mindfulness training now in some schools. In some schools they uh, they introduce real meditation and uh, in India there are are so-called Sun schools where they introduce spirituality and uh, compared with all the other schools these children are much, much better, Uh, they learn much easier, they are always on top in India. So this would be the future, to introduce it already in the schools and to try to change society. No meditation, no life, no meditation, no life, by Osho. Rumi said this, why do you stay in prison when the door is so wide open? So the solution is here, the practice is here, the meditation is there. And all we have to do to use it and to make some effort and liberate our mind from it. There's a Christian saying. It says, "God favors the brave." And I said, "Liberation favors the diligent." So if you make some effort, <coughs> you can liberate your mind. As I said, it takes time. It takes energy, and uh, but the technique is there. So let's use it. So free your mind, the Buddha with his dharma strove to bring about an enlightened society found on justice, freedom, community, talent, the universal well-being of the people and to maximize everyone's potential to lead people towards enlightenment. So that should be our aim, for once in our own enlightenment also to liberate society around us, most importantly to have a group of good friends around you, same-minded people with, with, with whom you can share all your problems and then we walk together towards enlightenment. So with that I come to the end of this Dhamma talk. Uh, I hope there were a few points interesting for you. May you all make quick progress in your meditation, may you all find peace and happiness May you all free your mind and reach higher levels of consciousness. At the end, a short chanting. Do bless you all. Sabitiyo viva chantu, saparogo vinasatu, mate bhava sukidi gayo pavattu bhavatusapa mangalang then at the end, a few short announcements. So next Monday, this Monday, Tuesday, I will be at the EWAM Institute. Uh, they they have the summer school, a Buddhist summer school, so I am invited to do two days there, four Dhamma talks, uh, Monday and Tuesday, so if you are close there somewhere and you have time, drop in not to take away people from BSV, but <laughs> 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 then the next number talk here will be on the, my next one is on the 20th, it's about reincarnation, it will be about karma, rebirth, reincarnation, also in between states, I got a lot of questions about that one, so it's about analyzing how uh, how it works when you are reborn or reincarnation. Then on the aft- in the afternoon, not 100%, is it sure already, Yasmin, is she here? Not here, anyway. We are planning <coughs> to, on the 20th afternoon, to, to show a movie. It's the Dhamma Brothers. It's a, a documentation about a 10-day meditation retreat in American prison in Alabama, and uh, with amazing results. So They're interviewing the prisoners before, during, and after the retreat. After 10 days, you should see amazing changes in these hardcore criminals. And so we show the movie and then after that we have an open discussion starting at 1 p.m. So if you're interested, drop in. Uh, I said not 100% because we are still, the movie is on the way, we ordered one. So it's, so, but we should we should get it in time. <laughs> then uh, my last Dhamma talk for this time will be on the 27th Awakening Down Under. It's about Buddhism in Australia, will be also about the Bikuni problem or the Sangha problem here in Australia and also about uh, things which are important to continue your practice towards enlightenment. So I can see in Australia it's really, (coughs) there is a big awakening. Some more and more people get interested in, for one thing, Buddhism, also in meditation, in mindfulness meditation. So it is about Buddhism and uh, positive development in Australia. So with that, uh, everybody is invited to join the lunch on the other side. Before that, if you have any questions, uh, we can do short question and answers. So anything about the Dhamma dog or anything you would like to ask, please do so. <coughs> oh, yeah, hi. Um, I question on how the universe was formed, um, you know, with, uh, with the Christian tradition, it says there's a God which created the universe, yeah. uh, with all the planets, all the stars, all the galaxies. So what, what is the uh, concept in Buddhism? The Buddha did not talk much about it, but there are few suttas which give a hint about it. Now, the, according to the Buddha, uh, there was like pure consciousness, so we were pure conscious beings. There's one sutta where the Buddha talks: the beings were floating in the, in space, uh, pure energy, and uh, without any desires, they were happy, they were peaceful, everything was wonderful. And then, through grasping, again, it started with attachment. They they uh, desired certain things, so they tried some food and things, and so their bodies became more cross and cross. So we basically created our reality, uh, this base reality, out of desire. And that means also because once you get rid of desire, you can go back to pure consciousness. So that's one of the interpretations that uh, what in other traditions is called God or the Creator, is pure consciousness, and we are part of it so we are part of we are the creators basically and there are, have some people uh, in the west some people who made some uh sudden experiences they like I, I remember just one in england he uh had some experience in meditation he started talking uh I am God, he said, I am God, and then all England was laughing about him and said, he's crazy, he lost his mind, without really questioning him what he meant with it. So what he meant is, we are all pure consciousness, once you realize that you are kind of God, or you are the creator, or you're part of it. So the idea is that uh, it's all on a mental level, anyway, so reality is not real; it's mind made, and we are all together created it. And they say also, from moment to moment, we create reality. So we perceive it, and also we create it from moment to moment. That's the Buddhist, uh, I think, the Buddhist outlook. Yeah, but it's very, very good question, yeah. deep question. Anything else? Any other questions? Um, you've talked a lot yeah. about desire being the big problem. What about wholesome desires to serve mm-hmm. to help if there's problems going around you mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah th- I said that that's the most uh, difficult part now like you th- have the hate and desire hate is very clear now everybody say hate or ill will is is obviously bad, we know that no? it is uh, uh, clear, not a good thing, and it is holding us back with the desire, let's say with the wholesome desires, even that holds us back but uh good desire is leading us even closer to enlightenment. So even some say let go of your desire to be enlightened even, uh, but you need that desire even to come close to it. So it drives you on, without, that, say, from this, uh, all the people here would not have no desire anymore, then they wouldn't come here, they wouldn't meditate, they wouldn't do anything. So it is driving you on towards enlightenment, but they say the last moment, even that you have to let go, in order to become fully enlightened, any kind of desire has to go, but on the way uh, like compassion, helping others, doing meditation, all these are good things which lead you close to enlightenment. So first of all you have to try to get rid of the bad desires, keep the good ones or the ones which uh, help you in your meditation to come close to it. But again, in uh, let's say you're sitting in meditation, you should not desire anything. So once you sit in meditation you should let go of all dualistic thinking even positive, let's say, if it comes in the form of a memory, you remember nice things or even you desire enlightenment, even these thoughts you should let go, you should not hold on to it. And uh, that's why in meditation the most, uh, the biggest hindrance are always the thoughts, because they come in different ways. They can come in the form of, it looks like it has to do with my meditation, it has to do with my uh, m- moving forward, but it is just the thought which holds you back again. So, in meditation, we should uh, just note it, move on. Uh, uh, in day to day life, the uh, positive desires can help you in the beginning, but at the end, you have to let go of it. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Anything else? Any other questions? <coughs> Hold Oh, there. Yeah, okay. I'll, uh, I'll my voice. Ah. Ah, okay. <laughs> Mike is coming. <coughs> do you believe in clairvoyance, um, in clear audio? Yes. I think it's possible. Some say there is no magic because it's all natural. So if you're really on a higher level of consciousness, these things happen automatically. That's why many, uh, we we see this in the, uh, there are are the stories about the Buddha or many monks who attained enlightenment. In the moment of enlightenment, all these what you call magic powers were also there they could speak with the spirits, they could see their past lives, they could uh, project themselves into other places. So all these powers are nothing so special once you are on that level. And I think some say this is what you are. So when you are pure consciousness, there is no limit, you are unlimited consciousness. You could be in two places at the same time, you know everything, you are connected, you, you feel the connection with all the others around you. So all these things come naturally with spiritual progress. So I, be, I believe it's possible, yeah. Thank you. you. (laughs) Ajahn, we have one uh, online question from Lee. How do I address intense guilt and regrets? Guilt and regret, guilt and regret. Yeah, it comes often, and it comes often, o- often up in our meditation, and really becomes a, a block or a hindrance. Again, if you see uh, nothing you have done in the past is really wrong. So if you understand, everything is part of your growing up or your spiritual progress. Even the bad experiences are, we can learn from them. So if you just look back, uh, when the memory comes, say, okay, this uh, I, I learned from it. I learned my lesson, and it's in the past. It's no longer real. And uh, all I know, it was not a good decision, and I will not r- repeat it in the future. So you make the resolve, not to repeat the bad things. But uh, with that, just let it go. So you make this uh, in meditation anyway. When it comes in meditation, it's just a memory. Don't even go into it. But outside of meditation, whenever these uh, guilt or memories are coming, you just say, uh, I learned my lesson, it's in the past, and now it's done with it, so I'm not going into it. So the more you think about it, the more it, it drags you down, and there's no learning from it anymore. So you make your lesson, say, this is what I learned from it, it's in the past, it's no longer real, it's over. In my future, I do better, so I do the right things and uh i correct myself also the precepts often are called the sikkarada so these five precepts they are not meant to <coughs> like rules written in stone it is a, a, a practice you have to go there so when you when it's, it's a new person starts to keep the five precepts uh naturally in the beginning there will be it will not work always there will be short shortcomings sometimes some rules are breaking Each time you do that, you make the new uh, resolve, you say, okay, this happened, but now I do it better, now I do it better. So in the process, you are learning, you're purifying your way of life, and one day you will be perfect. So it's a Sikabada, a growing up process, and we can learn from our mistakes, but we should not uh, keep it on uh, rolling around in our minds. So we make once the decision. This is the lesson, and in future I won't do it anymore. And then when the memories come, you just block it off. Okay. Thank you. I should look in the camera. <laughs> the, huh? ah, this one. Okay. Um, the word <coughs> mm-hmm. um, How important is the word understanding in practice? understanding, what, uh, what I mean with understanding is wisdom, or realization. Yes. <coughs> so if you have some understanding, in, you mean theoretical understanding or practical understanding? Our understanding yeah. of the that <coughs> come up of our uh-huh, okay, yeah, yeah, the lesson yeah. you learn. No? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, they are very important. So if you look back you can uh, analyze <laughs> what happened and why you went into it and what happened after that, so you analyze, you get an understanding of it. It can be a very powerful lesson. That's why I say even bad things we did in the past, uh, if you reflect wisely on it, it can help us immensely. So, But uh, they say if, or even when bad things happen in the moment, there are usually two reactions. One is you just go crazy over it, the other is you say, oh, why did this happen? Uh, it's not nice, it's not pleasant, but uh, if you overcome it, it can be a big lesson. So you can learn from it, I, you grow from it if you take it the right way. So in that way, every experience can be very useful, yeah, if you have the right outlook. Yeah. Okay, there was one more here. There is one more <coughs> online question from Chitra Devi. Uh, just wants you to please explain personality view. Mm. Uh, Sakaya Ditti is the Bali term for personality view. It is the idea that there is a constant I, me or mine, so the ego. The ego idea which drops away with my, uh, progressing meditation, So to believe that this is uh, my body and my mind is an entity which is I, me, or mine. So this idea drops away. uh, One thing which can help to break this illusion, it usually happens automatically in the meditation, but try to sit down and uh, uh, make the resolve, for one minute I want to sit here and not think anything. And you will very quickly realize it's not possible. So the thoughts are popping up automatically, or you can try to sit down and say for one minute I will only think nice thoughts. Again, you will quickly realize it's not possible. So the thoughts are coming out automatically, and also you have no choice. They can be nice thoughts, can be bad thoughts. Uh, they c- they come up automatically. So the mind is not you. It is uh, anatta, or not self. The only thing you can, when the thoughts are coming up, you after that you have a choice either to hold on, to push it away, or just to note it. So uh, one way of checking if the mind is you is to sit down and try not to think anything. And uh, also the body we can see <coughs> is changing. If uh, I think in one of the suttas the Buddha said, if this body would be you, then you could say, I want to look this way or that way, I want to be duller or bigger or... Uh, I want to look differently, it's not possible. So you get the body uh, according to your past karma, so the body-mind is not really you. Some say you are, it's like uh, you get it for time to make some experiences, but you are not really, it's not really you. So anatta or the Sakayaditi belief would mean this uh, idea there is I, me or mine, which is eternal, which cannot change. And uh, in meditation, you realize uh, there is no real ego. In meditation practice, it breaks up. That's, the I think, the answer to it. <laughs> okay, so I think we stop with that. We are already far gone. <coughs> okay, then again, uh, as I said, you're all welcome to join us on the other side for the community lunch. So thanks, everybody, for coming again and have a very nice Sunday. Thank you. <laughs>